All right, I want to keep going with James. Um, we are given in the one-year lectionary um, a, a little dose of James, which we don't see an awful lot, and also we kind of are afraid of because it's, it's very blunt when it comes to talking about um, not being a horrible person to each other. Um, and, and as Christians, that makes us uncomfortable, um, especially as Lutherans, because, well, we do the whole, you're saved by grace apart from works. And so when James comes along and he says, works, 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 everybody starts backpedaling and getting really, really nervous. Um, if you actually dig into James, though, um, there's a lot more going on underneath the surface of other than just be kind to one another. You should be kind, but at the same time, there's, there's more going on here. Um, and so I want to keep going then. Uh, James uh, chapter 1, verses 22 to 27 is our reading for today. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 22 to 27. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and he goes away, and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks that he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless." Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, why does that make you uncomfortable? Or why should it make you uncomfortable? If you want to be like real Lutheran-like. I love my intentions. My intentions are... I would be really healthy. I would not have eaten that extra slice of pizza. Uh, I would have worked out this morning instead of uh, put that off to future Harrison. Future Harrison gets bridled with a lot of the stuff that I totally should have done right now, but I have the very best of intentions of doing later. That poor guy is, is stranded with all kinds of awful stuff. What else? Why are you uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's really kind of baseline religious question, right? And if this is how you answer it, well, how many of you guys visited a widow this week? That doesn't count. That's them doing your job for you. Okay. If this is where you want to start, you understand why Luther got a little nervous when it came to James. Because it does seem to go against what you read in the whole rest of the book, where it's always Jesus saved you from your sins, Jesus accomplished the law, Jesus did all of these things, your sins are forgiven you. And then James comes along and says, be doers of the word, not just hearers. And everybody throws up their hands and says, now wait a minute. But we have to take this in connection with the whole rest of the book. Um, last week we also did... James. Um, just a few verses before, in fact, the verses immediately preceding this. And so one of the things that we said is every good and perfect gift is from above. And last week we had trouble with the idea of good and perfect gifts from above because I look around and how many things can I find that are perfect? Like I have a good life. Perfect. I have good kids. But if you saw them in church, perfect. Um, my daughter, my daughter is 
beautiful, and I love her very much, but stubborn. Um, perfect. I can say, you know, look at all the things that I wish my life was, and that's the problem, right? Because that would be perfect. If I could just have everything that I imagine, everything would be great. And God says every good and perfect gift is from above, and I say, well, I don't see them. And so last week we found out what is the, the good and perfect gift. Give me a baseline Sunday school answer. Not just from God, Jesus. When you don't know what to say and the pastor asks you a hard question, you just say, Jesus. That's a safe thing to do here. Um, every good and perfect gift from above is Jesus. Because there are everything. Uh, lots of other gifts that I've been given that are flawed, broken by sin. And so, the gift, am I a gift to my wife? That's debatable. Because I am good. I am not perfect. And so you can do this. You can try and measure things by flaws. But there's this thing that we do with the word perfect. We try and use perfect as a definition. Um, it is something that I cannot find any flaws in. And so if I can't find any flaws in it, it's perfect. But here's the thing. How can you call it perfect unless you can call it finished? And the Greek actually catches this. It uses teleos, the, the word that Jesus actually mutters from the cross. It is finished. Perfect. Fulfilled. How are you going to call it perfect if it's really so easy to break? And this is the thing that we start to recognize. And when I imagine that perfect little life, how fragile would it be? Well, if it needs to be absolutely perfect, it's incredibly fragile. Because it doesn't take a whole lot to upset perfect. At least as I would imagine it. It's like one bad phone call and my perfect day is gone. If it's that fragile, it's not perfect. For it to be perfect, it actually has to be good and strong enough to endure and not be breakable. And so, was Christ breakable? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Can death destroy Christ? This is how we're going to start to define perfect then. Perfect is not just, I can't find any flaws with it. But perfect means finished, fulfilled. It is finished on the cross kind of perfect. Are you with me on that? Because if you're willing to take that definition of it, we can actually start to then be a little bit more honest about God's good and perfect law. Because we say God's law is perfect, but at the end of the day, I disagree with a solid half of it because it calls me a sinner. And I love certain parts of it because it calls the people I hate sinners. And that, that part of the law I can get down with. But the part of the law that calls me a sinner, that's not perfect. But the word perfect means more than just God is right and you are wrong. What does it mean? Perfect means finished. Are you with me on this? Because this, this is um, such a loaded word that James would use the, the, the last word of his own brother on the cross to start to describe all this stuff, to set the tone for the whole book. Um, it means that more than you got to behave. It means that that word that Jesus said on the cross that James is, is grabbing and, and throwing around here is actually going to start to maybe have real effect on our lives. And this is the joy of the religion. That last verse, it says a good and perfect religion is this. It actually deals with real life. It doesn't just sit in this wall. Because I can, I can make up this perfect religion where it just makes me feel great inside of these walls, but does it actually change a single thing out there? And this is called televangelism. Um, you, you create for yourself a faith completely apart from anything that God's word would say that sounds phenomenal. That's why crowds go out there. 
That's why there are more people there. That's why they have a basketball stadium and not a, a little church in rural Nebraska. Um, it sounds phenomenal. And people love it. And then they go out in the world and they try it and does it actually do any good? This is where James gets going. I want to go to Matthew 7. Matthew 7 is going to help us a lot with this. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is, is another thing that, that we've kind of really wrestled with as Christians. Um, because we love to make the Bible about... Yeah, well, it's my favorite topic. Isn't it? Let me tell you about me. And if I can't tell you how great I am, I'll tell you why it's everybody's fault that I'm not. We love to make the Bible about ourselves. But the problem is, John the Baptist actually gets it right. He must increase, I must decrease. If you want to make this about yourself, you make less and less room for Jesus. And if you want to make this about Jesus, you make less and less room for yourself. I want to go to Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. Everyone, excuse me, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. James says, be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And, and every Lutheran starts kicking and screaming and yelling about works righteousness. But it's more than that, Jesus himself grabs these words and says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a man who builds his house on a rock. And what happens? It stands after the storms. Is there a connection between hearing and doing? What does Jesus mean when he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them? You're really trying hard to thread a needle there, aren't you? It's hard, right? Um, and this is, this is what we, we kind of want to start with. We don't take these little sections of Scripture apart from the rest and war them or balance them and see if we can somehow have our cake and eat it too. We recognize that God is not a schizophrenic, crazy person. Are you all comfortable with that assessment? God is not psychotic. If God is not psychotic, don't smile, I'm serious. If God is psychotic, we need a different religion because he's going to tell us to do things that hurt us. He's going to tell us to do things that don't always get along too well. I act psychotic. Because I say, this is good and right. Don't eat that extra piece of pizza. And then, I ate the pizza. I do things and I say things that go against each other. God is not psychotic. So when he gives us two things that we kind of have trouble threading, we don't just sort of say, all right, so yes, but also this, but also there's a way to explain it so that it's all perfect. We simply say, what's the Bible about? Jesus. All right, so let's keep it about him and then see whether or not it, it actually carries forward. So based on what you know, and the whole rest of the scriptures, not this apart from it, and, and sort of like, this is, Jesus is totally the way, the truth, the life, the only salvation, but also you have to be a good person. Keep it all in one big bowl and recognize that God's working the whole thing together. Because otherwise you sort of have two religions warring against each other, right? 
The law and the gospel don't fight. They get along. They work for good. And this is something that James sees. God's law, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Is God's gospel a good thing or a bad thing? Well, then they're sure not going to fight because they're both good. Right? All right, so every person who hears these words and does them is like a man who builds his house upon the rock. When the rains fell and the floods came, the house stood. Who is the rock? Christ, right? He actually calls himself the cornerstone. Um, And so if Christ is the only salvation, we want to build on on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is... I think I sang that to Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. I'm sorry. Um, I'm bad at hymns. Um, So we know. We want to be about the things of Jesus here. Fair enough? So look around. Are we about the things of Jesus here or about the world? There's like eight Jesuses in this room. That's a good start. What's plural for Jesus? Is it Jesus? Jesuses? But look, look how many there are. What are we about here? Jesus. There's a reason why up there is sacred space. This is where Jesus works. I want to be near Jesus. Because Jesus is the rock so that when the storms come, because I recognize just the same truth that everyone else in the whole wide world does, there are storms down here. So when the storms come, and when the rains come, and when the floods come, I want to be on the thing that stands. So, where's Jesus? This helps me see. We set aside that space. And so everything that's up there is of Jesus. This is why we keep the flags where we do, by the way. If you've ever wondered. Um, The things up there are the things you worship. Because they're of God. I hope that at my last I will be called a patriot. But I will not bow to the flag. How come? Because my country can't save me. My God can save me. I want to serve my country. I want to salute the flag, but this up here is the place of God. So we are American, and there is a flag here. But it's not going to be where we bow. It's going to be somewhere else. In the same way, I love my family. And I hope at the end they will say he wasn't a complete something or other that ruined my life. Um, But I'm not going to bow to my kids. I'm not even going to bow to my wife. I'm going to bow to my God. Up there are the things that work Jesus stuff. Are you with me? So... Do we do Jesus stuff here, or do we just hear it? What do we do here? There. We don't just come to church to hear about Jesus. We go to church to receive Jesus. Is Jesus actually here for you? I eat him and drink him every Sunday. He's actually here. Saying I want to go to church to hear about Jesus is like saying I want to go to a restaurant to hear about a hamburger. You got sold out. You missed out on the whole point. I went to the hamburger, or to the restaurant, to eat the hamburger. Right? I actually want to do Jesus stuff here. Because that endures. So Luther, in the small catechism, my favorite little book, he says, first thing you do in the morning when you wake up, make the sign of the Holy Cross. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you'll have magic powers to protect yourself from evil spirits throughout the rest of the day, and you'll be a closet Roman Catholic, and you'll get kicked out of church. No. But you remind yourself, I am baptized. That's all it is. I am baptized. So whatever rains and storms and floods come, I've not just heard about Jesus. I've received the things of Jesus. I, I, I was baptized. I have God's own gifts, God's own protection, the armor of God. Put on then the armor of God. Did you do that? 
Of course, because God did it for you. God did it through you. This is the great joy, that even as God calls you to do these things, who's the one accomplishing them? Did any of you manage to make that bread and wine into Jesus' body and blood? Do you think I have magic powers to do that? I don't. God's word did that. So even as God calls us to do these things, who accomplishes them? God works in us and through us to do what he needs doing. Are you with me so far? Okay. So, when God says, love your neighbor, is that any different? We don't just hear, love your neighbor, and then we say, you're right, and the law is supposed to call me a sinner, and I recognize that I am one, so I don't care about you guys. I recognize that I am a sinner, and that's what the law is for. That's what the law is for. But is the law also good? Okay, is it a good thing or a bad thing that people are starving to death? Okay, so if God has given some of those starving people to you and said care for them, and he's promised to work through you to do it, we're not going to say, well, that exists so that I can watch them starve and learn that I am a sinner. First, we recognize God does these good things through us. Because, again, the law is good, and so is the gospel. And we see this, then, as we start to play with God's good and perfect law. As we start to deal with the idea that the law is perfect, the real problem is that we are not. Same Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 3-5. Jesus said, why do you see the speck that is in your own brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so we have read this, and then we stop reading the whole second half, and basically we mean, leave me alone, I'll do whatever I want, you're not better than me. Right? Until you're perfect, don't you dare say that I have done anything wrong. And so, you know what? I don't, you're not allowed to tell me that um, cheating on my wife is a bad thing because you're not perfect. You're not allowed to tell me that beating my children is a bad thing because you're not perfect. You don't have to be perfect to recognize that that's bad, right? In fact, God's law is given that we might recognize who's going to get hurt when I cheat on my wife and beat my kids? My family, the people that God has given me to love. The reason that he says don't do these things is because he actually loves them too and he doesn't want to see them hurt. And so he says don't do those things. And so God doesn't just say, ignore your neighbor's problems, because you have your own. He says, first, deal with the log that is in your own eye, then help your neighbor. Don't just be a hearer of God's word, but a doer. How do you deal with the log that's in your own eye? You say, God, forgive me this sin. You receive his forgiveness right here. Does God remove the log from your own eye week after week after week? Not just so that you can say, wow, it must be too bad to have a speck in your eye, I bet that hurts, and then go on with your own life, but that you can actually share that then with your neighbor because these things are not contradictory. They're not fighting. God's not psychotic. When he says, I love you, and I'm going to work love through you, well, the only real question is, is that love pretend? And does it have no real effect on the world? Is it just so that we can talk about things for an hour, we can take a vacation and pretend things are better than they are once a week in here, and then go out there and have all the same problems that we had before? Or is it so real and so powerful and so potent that it actually carries over into the rest of our lives? If it's that one, then this is a religion worth having because it actually deals with the stuff that's wrong instead of just tries to escape it for an hour a week. The religion that just tries to escape things for an hour a week is not a real religion. 
That's what James comes down and says. If the very best that you can do is come in here and whine about the rest of the world for a week, pretend that you're better than them, and go right back out to it, church is great because you feel better than everybody. You feel superior. You feel safe. And until one of those sinners happens to come in this church, and then they have to be ostracized instead of forgiven. But more, you recognize and you teach yourself, and more, you teach your children that religion isn't worth having because it doesn't actually do anything. It doesn't actually help anything. It doesn't actually fix anything. We are of the things of Jesus, and Jesus is real. And so the things that Jesus fixes, well, there's real healing. Are you with me? Do you have questions on that? Concerns? Huh? I've always seen it more as sin. I mean, does the log and the spec fit with trials of life? Um, The reason I'd be nervous about going that way is because it, it, it means that more and more, my problems are greater than my neighbors, which is how I feel all the time, but is very rarely true. Um, and, and ultimately, um, the other thing that we're called to recognize is that um, God recognizes that in this world there will be suffering. There will be trials. There will be temptations. And he even calls us to recognize that sometimes he sends them. When Jonah got on the boat and ran completely the opposite direction in Nineveh, because being a pastor there sounded like a horrible gig, the devil didn't send the storm that sank the boat, that caused the fish to swallow him. Who sent the storm? Give him credit for the stuff he takes credit for, even the things you don't like. Um, to say that, that um, you can just up and remove the log from your own eye that easy isn't true. Like There, there are just going to be some diseases you bear, some crosses you bear. Is that in the Bible? I wish it wasn't, but it is. Um, and so when we're called then to deal with our own log, we recognize there is something inside of me that can actually be removed, that I might help my neighbor. And that's not my suffering. I, I wish it was. But what's called to be removed is my sin. Um, so that when I suffer, I might actually be drawn closer to God. Because if we said the whole thing that saves us is being near Jesus, building the house on the rock, well, a- a- at the end of the day, do you care more what your house is built on when it's sunny or when it's storming? When it's storming, So when the tornado alarm goes off and I'm like, boy, I'm glad I got a basement. That's a whole different phrase from how I talk about it the rest of the year when I'm like, man, I got to clean the basement. Man, there's a lot of bugs in the basement. We we care more about these things uh, when when we actually need them. And so God recognizes this and he actually uses this to, even though we might call them bad, he uses them to draw us closer to him, which is good. Um, If you want to say that the cross is the symbol of your religion, crosses hurt. If you want to be near Jesus, Jesus died on one. That means that we're not going to be afraid of suffering because we know that Jesus conquered it by dying and then rising. If we want to say that your whole religion is avoiding suffering, then you have to number yourself among the Pharisees who stood next to the cross and said, if you really are the Son of God, just come down from there because suffering is awful. And he said, no, I'm here for you. In the same way, you might even be called to suffer your neighbor. So if if I'm going to have kids, does it make my life easier or harder? Makes it harder. I didn't say better or worse, though, did I? Because those are different things. Having kids makes my life harder. Does having kids make my life better? 
100 million bajillion infinity times yes. We don't measure things that way. Nobody does. I mean, nobody does. You don't have to be a Christian to say that. You go on Facebook and watch a whole bunch of, like it's a pretty picture with squiggly font about a mom who's just had enough and wants wine. That, that's not a Christian phrase. It's just a recognition that life is hard. But sometimes the hard things are, are the best things. We're, we're not going to be afraid of suffering. Um, we, will, we will deal with our sin. Are, are you with me here? Um, but to do this then, we have to deal with the law. Because it says, again, God's perfect law. And I say, not around me. Because I have that big log in my eye. And I'm sure aware of my neighbor's speck. How am I going to call God's law perfect unless I'm willing to call it finished? When I talk about God's perfect law, I have to talk about it as more than just how I'm dealing with it. So, um, John 19.20, or excuse me, 30. John 19.30. John 19.30. Jesus had received the sour wine, and he said, It is finished. He bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Did Jesus fulfill the law? Why? I mean, that's a tricky question, because, I mean, how can he not? He's God. He is the law. He is the, the word. But he fulfilled it for us, because he loved us. So that every time that I should have done these things, and I sure didn't do it perfect, God doesn't just say, well, try your best. He says, no, when you don't act perfect, people get hurt. Sometimes you, sometimes other people. But he loved me so much that he would fulfill it perfectly for me, bleed and die for me, and say, it is finished, it is perfect for me, so that my sins would be forgiven. Right? So then, after that, um, God's law is fulfilled. It is fulfilled. This is not about whether or not you did it perfect anymore. You acknowledge, I didn't do it perfect. God did it perfect for you. That's the religion, right? The whole thing. So, then when I deal with the law, can it sting me anymore? Why are you so worried about making excuses to make yourself seem better than other people if your whole religion is Jesus forgives sinners? Why are you so worried about excuses if your whole religion is Jesus forgives sinners? We don't want to be called hypocrite, right? Because it's bad to be a hypocrite. It's never called a good thing. But at the same time, we have to recognize something. Even though it's not a good thing to be called a hypocrite, the only people who actually aren't hypocrites are the people who don't believe in anything bigger than themselves. The only people who can actually manage to say, I'm not a hypocrite, are the people who believe in nothing more than what they have done. That is a very narrow, narrow view. If your God is not bigger than you, your God sucks, and you need a new one. It's, I, I'm every bit as crass as it sounds. If, if you can be a religious person and say, I'm not a hypocrite, it's because your God is smaller than you. Your God is limited to the things that you can do. And in that case, he is a terrible, terrible God. And you need a new one. But I can tell you about one who is way bigger than you, way better than you, and does things that you can't do. That's sort of a cool part about God. To be a religious person, to believe in something bigger than yourself, is to number yourself among the hypocrites. It's not to say hypocr- hypocrisy is good, but it's to say that God is good. And God is so good that he loves me even when I am not. Does that sound like our religion? So I don't want to be a hypocrite. It's bad to be a hypocrite. Because if I was a hypocrite, that means somebody got hurt because of my hypocrisy. Right? 
And so I say, I'm supposed to love my wife. And then I don't do the dishes. I mean, these are small things, but does it make her life better or worse? Hypocrisy is a bad thing, but at the same time, if I'm willing to say that my God is bigger than me, why am I so afraid about hypocrisy anymore? The whole religion is God loves hypocrites. God loves you. God loves sinners. God bled and died so that you wouldn't be numbered by the places your sins have overwhelmed you. Deal with the log in your own eye. First and foremost. Are you with me here? So then here, God's law is no longer just good, and I am not, but God's law is even good for me. Because God's law can't sting me anymore. It can even be talked about as a guide. You can't call God's law a guide unless it can't hurt you anymore. Okay? You can't call God's law a guide unless you're willing to acknowledge that as it has already worked here, you can't talk about the third use of the law apart from the gospel. Because the gospel is what actually makes the law safe. Is it safe to be called a hypocrite here? How come? Because Jesus loves hypocrites. Jesus loves you. And you can even measure it right there on that cross. You can even receive it right there at that altar where he feeds you with body and blood. So that I would say, I'm not known by my sins, but by your blood and righteousness. We love those old hymns, right? Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. Let him be true outside those walls then. Are you with me here? Do you have questions on this, comments? This lets me deal with like the realities of, of out there then. I want to go to Romans 7. Uh, Romans chapter 7 is that outside of church verses um, that, that I, I very much love. I'm not going to do the whole thing, but I want to do Romans 7, 12 and 13. Romans 7, 12 and 13. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. So, this lets us actually start to say, right is right and wrong is wrong. Because I don't need to excuse what I've done that's wrong. I don't need to justify my mistakes. I can simply say, I sinned. Who helps me? Jesus. This changes how we deal with each other. Because here I don't need to say, I'm sorry, but. And then but is all the reasons you actually deserve this thing or all the awful stuff that makes it at least, I mean, it's not great, but you understand where I'm coming from. It's not a, you have to walk a mile in my shoes before you judge me. It's not any of the cute little bumper stickers we toss at each other. Because it's just, I did something wrong and it hurt you. And I'm sorry. Jesus had to die for that. Please let his death be enough. Because he said it was. That's how we deal with each other in terms of confession and absolution, in terms of legitimate forgiveness. And that actually carries us forward in a way that the excuses just don't. Because you can build a house full of excuses, but that is a fragile, fragile place to live so that when the rains come and when the floods come and the house is built on the sand of excuses, what happens to the house? But when the rains come and the floods come and the house that is built on the rock that forgives sins... We endure because we call wrong, wrong, and right, right, but Jesus holy and Jesus loving and Jesus forgives you. Are you with me on this? Do you have questions or or comments here?
That, that is so wrong that it actually sent Christ to the cross. That is an acknowledgement and confession of sin. I, can the cross be real outside of church? Because ultimately, that's where all forgiveness comes from. This is where all forgiveness comes from, from the cross. And so I don't say, will you forgive me? Because at the end of the day, when you're mad and when you're hurt, can you just say, oh yeah, I'm not mad anymore. Don't worry about it. You can say it. Like, I can make my kids say I'm sorry, but I can't make my kids stop crying. Right? But I can say, where did all forgiveness come from? All forgiveness. My sin, as, as many excuses as I have for it, was so terrible that it actually sent Christ to that cross just for that. When he said, it is finished, it is perfect, it's done. Is it true or not? I'm sorry that I've hurt you. Can you please find healing the same place that all healing comes from? Forgiveness the same place that all forgiveness comes from? Because if you want to go drigging through the depths of your heart, you're going to come up empty real quick. You can build on the excuses. You can. I mean, really. Um, But that does not withstand the storm. It just doesn't. Are you with me on this? Awesome. Cool. Questions or comments there? Other? So Paul, as he finishes Romans then, uh, he'll, he'll go to verse 19. For the, I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. God's law is good, and it's even good for you, and it acknowledges that Christians live a life at war. Like, that's what it is to be a believer. We war. If, if you can say your religion has gotten you perfectly at peace with how you live your life, your religion is no bigger than yourself. And that's not an impressive religion. It's just not. I can say there is better out there than I've managed to accomplish. Because unless you are God Almighty, I hope you can say that. No matter how much you think of yourself, there is better out there that I can accomplish. The good that I do not want, there's a problem there. The evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. The good that I want, I do not do. I struggle. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And because I can say thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord, I can actually call good good and evil evil. I don't need evil minus excuses equals kind of not great, but you know. I can say, look, that was sin. And I'm going to strive to do better. Not because it earns my salvation. Christ Jesus has already done that. But because every time I fall back into my own selfishness, somebody else gets hurt. And so... Um, as we start to deal with this, uh, Acts chapter 6, 1 to 4. James is, is beautiful um, because he connects inside the congregation with outside in your vocations, outside where you actually have to live real life. James is what makes church worth going to because he shows you all the stuff that it, ha- it does. It works real forgiveness. And that forgiveness isn't just something you talk about here for an hour and then go out and pretend that it's not there. But, but something that carries over. Acts chapter 6, uh, 1 to 4. <clears throat> um, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. 
we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. All right, so is it good to feed widows? Oh, don't make excuses. Is it good to feed widows? Is it good to feed widows? How could it be bad? Okay, so let's just start. It's good to feed widows. Um, Yes, you are forgiven your sin, but does it actually help your neighbor? These aren't hard questions. These are as very bit as simple as they sound. Is it good to help your neighbor? Absolutely, it's good to help your neighbor. So, help your neighbor. Why do you feed widows? Not because you can do something that makes them not widows anymore, but because they might just need a little bit of comfort. And so... As the apostles are doing these things, they say, look, the most important thing is already being done. We are preaching. We are doing God's stuff. We are giving sacrament. We still want to help make sure that everybody is cared for. Not because it fixes every problem, but because it doesn't have to anymore. God has already worked these things that are finished. God's perfect law is already there working for you. And so, God has is, is, got the rest under control. In the meanwhile, bring comfort to one another that comes from the very source which you received it. This is sanctified life in action. Why do you feed widows? Not because it saves you, but because starving widows, bad thing, not hard. With me? Questions? Comments? Concerns? Then vocation actually starts to guide this discussion properly because God would give you this this vocation that you can actually start to say, um, this is how, this is where, and this is who. Because if I just say, feed widows, what's the problem? Let me do it this way. Um, we, we love the parable of the Good Samaritan because it's about Jesus. And every time we, we make it other than Jesus, we get way off track. But at the same time, um, we can say, who is my neighbor? And you've learned to say, everyone. So when we go through the Ten Commandments, especially from our, our small catechism, God's law talks about our Neighbor. And we say our neighbor is everyone. And then the favorite Lutheran thing to do is to say, well, I can't fix world hunger, so I guess I shouldn't even try. Yes, I'm a sinner. And then just move on, having dealt with none of it. What's the problem? Well, are starving widows good or bad? Bad. What can we do about that? There are certain widows that God has given you. So, yes, everyone is your neighbor. But God has also said not every neighbor is the same. And so I love my wife, and I love my children, and I love you, but I don't love you all the same way, do I? Because that would be gross and weird and uncomfortable for everyone involved. Vocation then starts to norm, starts to shape, even starts to guide where the law is put into practice. So I can say that our parents are supposed to obey the fourth commandment. Our children are supposed to obey the fourth commandment. It works differently depending on who you are, though. Fair enough. When I say love your neighbor, we we recognize that the whole world is my neighbor. Absolutely. But there are some neighbors I've been given to care for more than others. And that doesn't dismiss the others. But it recognizes God is at work to feed all of them. God is at work to help all of them. And he's given you some of them. So keep your eye on the prize. That cross. And then just recognize that from there come gifts that overflow into the people in your lives, which he has given you. The idea that since I can't help everyone, I don't have to help anyone. That is a, a, just a terrible, terrible, sinful excuse of a fallacy. 
what we recognize is, no, I can't help anyone. I can't help myself. But God has helped me, and God has given me these things. And so, here are the people that he has given me. Here are the ways that I will care for them. Feeding widows is a good thing. If you've been given some widows, and you've got some food, maybe don't let them starve. This isn't hard. Are you saved by it? No. Are you holier by it? No. But they're less hungry by it, and that's good. With me? So then we can deal with our neighbors and say, well, what if that widow's a sinner? So am I. How am I going to deal with the log in my own eye? From that cross of Christ. That's where the forgiveness comes from. Uh, Matthew 25, uh, 31 to 46 then will be our our last little bit before we uh, close down. Uh, Matthew 25 verses 31 to 46 would be where um, Jesus deals with the sheep and the goats on the last day. And he says, where were you when the widows needed fed? Where were you when the people in prison needed visited? And everybody's uncomfortable. Everybody's uncomfortable with Jesus' assessment. Those who did it said, when did we do this? And Jesus said, when you did to the least of them, you did to me. And, Jesus, and the ones on, on the right, they say, Lord, when did we not do these things? Um, we simply recognize that, well, when God works good, it actually accomplishes something. So, when God works good through you, did it actually accomplish what it needed to? It is finished. Did something happen? Or do we just say, oh, everything's better, no more problems, and then go out into the real world and ignore them? It is finished means your sins are forgiven. You are baptized. Does that have a real effect on you? Holy things will happen. And so, of course, Jesus is involved in that. How could Jesus be involved in the, the holy things that are happening um, in any other way? This is where he puts himself. So, of course, Jesus was involved. He was the giver and he is the gift. Any questions, comments? So, again, when we deal with James and his perfect law, we recognize that it's a law that's already been fulfilled in Christ. And then we work from that. We work from Christ. We don't ever work from ourselves. Fair enough? All right, let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all.